Amen and amen. amen. You may be seated. Mark, could I ask you just to close the library door real quick, please, if you would? Nursery workers have said they get too much feedback, probably in both ways. When I was growing up, I don't know if there was a nursery that could have stopped my screams, you know. Loudmouth and all that I have. Open God's words to the book of Acts. Lord willing, we will actually conclude chapter 5 this week. I think it's our fifth Sunday in chapter 5. Do need to, to remember one of our others tonight. I'm remiss for forgetting to mention, we did not forget her this week, um, but Robin had uh, triple bypass surgery on Monday, and um, for some reason, she's just really wore out this, the rest of the week. I don't, I don't know <laughs> what, what the excuse is there, but um, pray for her. They, 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 cut the, they cut down the middle of the sternum. They just kind of peel you back and go at it. And um, so for some reason, she's pretty wore out this week. I don't know why she isn't here today, but <laughs> anyhow, um, continue to pray for Robin. Um, just for strength and recovery, that she'll heal well, that there won't be any infections, because uh, that can be a, a major setback for for an open heart surgery recipient and uh, triple bypass. That's, that's pretty. How many have you had, Ron? About 360? Six the first time? It's amazing, amazing what they can do now. Um, we're glad they know how to do it. And, uh, <laughs> Just that God gives us time. I, I know I often say um, my, my dad was killed in a horrific accident when I was six years old. And if that accident were to take place today, with the, the and, and that was like 1969, just to tell you how old I am. Um, if that took place today, he would probably survive just because of the, the microscopic surgery that they can do now that they didn't do in 1969. So just as advances take place, Brother, we're glad you're here, and, and Robin, we're glad that she's still with us because of that, because, wow, when they, when they go in and find that the arteries are that clogged, that's a scary thing, and uh, we're just thankful for, for medicine and doctors and, and uh, people to, to uh, take care of that, and of course, ultimately, for God to carry out his will in our lives, and uh, he gave Robin opportunities in the hospital to to connect with nurses and doctors that know Jesus, and then to connect with some that weren't quite so recipient or receptive of, of her wanting to share Christ with them. But that's okay, 
just as our apostles here in Acts. She was looking for the opportunities to share, and that's my challenge to us today. In Newberry, are we looking for the opportunities to share about Jesus Christ? Last week, we looked in, in chapter 5 at verses 24 to 32, and we, we noticed that uh, that the Sanhedrin got the other councils together. There's three kind of courts. There, there was the Sanhedrin, the, the 70, that was the big group. But as, as we will see and we find out as we read further into chapter 5, was that the Sanhedrin wanted to kill the apostles. They figured if they could kill the apostles, they'd stomp it out and stop it in its track because, well, bottom line was, as it says right in the scriptures, they did it because they were filled with jealousy. Because God was healing people, the apostles loved people, and they were sharing Jesus. They were doing it in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were getting all the attention. And the jealous Sadducees weren't getting any attention. And they, they wanted it back on them. I'm glad we never are like that. We always think it's about Jesus and that it's never about ourselves. We, we always think that way, right? Every day, all the time. It's always about Jesus, never about ourselves. Until as like children, we want to throw a temper tantrum because we didn't get our own way about something really silly and stupid. But these guys were jealous, and so we know that their end goal is to kill them, to wipe them out. And, and the, the Sadducees, the, uh, the, the chief priests, Annas and Caiaphas and those guys, the, the ones at the, the top of the, the, feed, the food chain among the Sanhedrin, knew that in order to get the death penalty, they needed to get all the courts involved. So, and, and remember that the other two courts that we talked about last week, it's real tough, it was the Outer court and the inner court, okay? There was 23 more judges on each of those, and then the 70 of the Sanhedrin, so we had 116, and they had to get the consensus of all 116 in order to put some of their own people to death. And so we, we see in the planning and planning ahead that, that that's where, what their goal was. That's where they intended to head from the, from the very beginning. And why? Because they're jealous, because the apostles are getting the attention because they're doing the work in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not even looking for for anything for themselves. But they're doing it in the name of Jesus. When the the apostles were called in, remember when Peter and John first healed the lame man, they got thrown in jail, and then they were let go, and they said, no, just go and don't talk about Jesus anymore. In chapter... Okay, 4 verse 20. Yeah. Peter says, For we cannot stop speaking of what we had seen and heard. And they, they said that right to the, right to the Sanhedrin. Basically, we're not, you, you guys are telling us to shut up. We can't. It's not possible for us to stop speaking. Just in, in from chapter 2, and we look that, that when Jesus died, it was impossible for sin to hold him down, for death to hold Jesus down. And that, and that, again, we, we've been talking about the Sadducees, why they're so sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. And at every opportunity here, Peter is preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that they're doing it in his name and in the power of his name because he was resurrected. He's not dead. He's not in the grave any longer. He's not dead. He's not in the grave. And he, you guys need to wake up. 
And, 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 and it's not because of what I'm saying. It's because it's what, what is being said and it's in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John were let go, told not to. Now they, now they, and they kept on. And, and we looked last week in verse 28. And it's in the middle of verse 28, it says, You filled Jerusalem, the, the Sanhedrin are giving the accusation and the charges against them. And they said, You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And we said, Amen and Amen. Because they're doing what Jesus told them to do. They're doing what Jesus sent them to do. They're telling. They, they filled the whole city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're being obedient. They're doing what they're, they're accomplishing the mission. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching. So, and because of that, the Sanhedrin want to kill them. They're sick and tired of all this attention going to the apostles. When they walk into the temple and they, they, they puff out their chest and they think everybody should look in at them. And, and it, no, all the crowd's over there because the apostles are over there healing somebody. It's not focused on them. We talked briefly last week on Peter and, and why he spoke so boldly here when it was just about eight weeks ago right before the crucifixion, that he denied Jesus three times to a little girl. He wouldn't even admit to her that he, he knew who Jesus was and that he was associated with Jesus. And here, about two months later, he's standing in front of the highest court, all the PhDs of the day, all the smart, educated ones. And he's basically talking them right down because they don't believe in the resurrection. How did he lose that fear? Why, why, can, why can he be so bold for Jesus? And all the commentators shared that, that it was because they had received the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8. And that's true. That's a big part of it. But I'd also put forth the premise that it was because Peter saw Jesus die on the cross for him. And after the resurrection, Jesus still loved Peter, even though Peter had denied him three times before. After the resurrection, Jesus still loved Peter. It's a good thing that he loves us after we deny him. Because I would dare say, if we wanted to count, count the number of times in our lives that we've denied Jesus, all of us would have to take all of our shoes off to count that high, and we'd probably have to borrow everybody else's toes in here too. And the number of times that we've denied Jesus Christ. But Peter saw what his Savior did for him. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 32 of chapter 5, again from last week, as, as we get going to get into new territory here pretty quick. Stay with me. But it says the, the, the very end of chapter of verse 32, chapter 5, verse 32, whom God has given to those who obey him. If we do not obey Jesus, we have no part of him. If we do not obey Jesus, we do not have the Holy Spirit in us. We may be very emotional and get excited and wound up about things, but we do not have the Holy Ghost in us if we do not obey Jesus. That is how he knows that we love him. That is how the world knows that we love him, is if we obey him. 
You've filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Check that box. You guys are obeying Jesus because you're doing what he sent you to do. You're accomplishing his work and his will. And then in verse, uh, as we saw, let's see. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised... Now, I'm going to... Bear with me. I'm going to skip the last part of verse 30. I'm not taking it out of God's word. We'll come back to it in a second. But I just want to connect the next verse to, to the first part of verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Verse 31. He is the one whom God exalted to the to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. It's Jesus Christ that God elevated God gave him and bestowed upon him the most glory that could be given. He sits at God's own right hand. Then the last half of verse 30 that we skipped. Whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. As high as God exalted him, you tore him down. You murdered him. Now we know that that was part of God's plan from the beginning of time. But the Sanhedrin and the, the, the Pharisees that had Christ crucified didn't see that picture. Because if they understood that picture, they wouldn't have done what they did. Okay, verse 33. We only got to go to 42, so we should make it. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they were intending to slay them. Turn a page to chapter 7. Verse uh, 54, Acts 7, 54. This is just before they, the, they murder Stephen. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. The gnashing of the teeth, it's all about the anger. It's, it's all about the, the um, well, let me look at my words here so I get them right here. The anger, the contempt, the anguish, the rage that they had for Stephen, because just like Peter, he was calling them out. And here we see in verse chapter 5, verse 33, when they heard it, they were cut to the quick, and they were intending, they were angry. How, how often do you really, you know, oh, I hate so-and-so, or I hate that, whatever. But how, I, in, 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 in the New Testament, the standard is if we hate somebody in our hearts, it's, it's as if we had murdered them. So I get that. But how many times in our lives do we really feel like we, we want to pull out a weapon and kill somebody? These guys, this is how angry they were. And I hope that, that none of you have ever gone there to that place. But if you have, recall that rage and the anger that it took to get you to that place. That's how angry the Sanhedrin are here. They're, they're, when... Well, that phrase, cut to the quick. Go back with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. They've received the Holy Spirit. The apostles spoke in different languages through the power of the Holy Spirit. The local people said, these guys are drunks. And Peter stands up and he preaches and says, no, they're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he, he gets into it. And in verse 
30, at the end of Peter's sermon, excuse me, verse 37, chapter 2, 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what must we do to be saved? What shall we do? When they were cut to the heart, when they were cut to the quick, they were broken. Psalm 51, God loves a broken and a contrite heart. These people were broken because they saw what their sin had done. They understood the consequences of their sin. And it says they were pierced to the heart. And so when you get back to chapter 5, verse 33, and you say they were cut to the quick, you're, you're ready for a revival to happen, right? You're ready for these Sanhedrin to, to come to Jesus. It's the exact opposite. They were cut to the quick, and they were intending to slay them. They hated them. They were angry. They wanted to murder them. They only had murder in their heart. If you don't know Jesus today, it's my prayer for you that you will be pierced to the heart like chapter 2, not like chapter 5 or 7. That you will be broken and that you will will humble yourselves before God and want to accept what His Son Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Verse 34 to 38, we're going to, we're going to, there's a lot of backstories in these verses that, that we don't have time to go on. I could preach whole sermons on them. If, if you, if you want to get down to it, Gamaliel, Gamaliel is a, is a Pharisee that the Sanhedrin, or excuse me, the Sadducees are the ones that are currently in power in the Sanhedrin, in the council of 70. But Gamaliel is a Pharisee, and he's been around for a while, and he is very well respected. And there, there's, there's five or six major flaws with all of his arguments here. We're not going to get into them, because if, if the Sadducees were smart, they, they would have saw through what he was saying and picked him apart. But, but that's beside the point. That's not the point of the message today. God used what Gamaliel said to accomplish his purpose and his will. We'll leave it at that. But there's just flawed thinking all the way through, through Gamaliel. But he says in verse 34, A certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, after, after the apostles were taken out, He's saying to the Sanhedrin and the whole council, because remember, they got the other two courts, the inner court and the outer court here, so we got 116 judges sitting here. And Gamaliel says, mind you, he's not in the ruling party, he's a Pharisee, not a a Sadducee. Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, and he was slain, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him, he too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. And so in the present case, I say to you, stay away from those men and let them alone, for this is the plan of action. If this plan of action should be of men, it will be overthrown. Now, the smartest thing that Gamaliel said is verse 39. That's the, the, true, the truest thing that he says. 
But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. How many times in my life do I think I know better than God? How many times in my life do I think I know better than God? Every time I sin, I take him off the throne and put me up there. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Satan knows he's losing. His time is short. I cannot overthrow God. Those times when I want to put myself on the throne and take him down. You will be found fighting against God. Why would you want to do that? Why did Satan want to do it? Because of sin. Because of pride. After all, this is what started this whole mess was the jealousy of the Sanhedrin, right? Guys, if it's of God, and it's like the the construction that went on here. As Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's time will have God's support. And that was all paid for before we even started. So that our neighbors will look and say, see what God did? See what God did? God is working in that place. God is doing something. Now, I hope that's not the only thing that we're hanging our hat on. That's a visible one that we can see. But if we, as, as we start to live more for Jesus and more about what he cares in our lives than what our neighbor thinks of us, then Newberry will take notice of what is going on here. Not because of you, not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and what is being done here in his name. Verse 40, he took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then released them. We know that they didn't want to kill him. We know that the Roman flogging was 40 lashes minus one. And, and they, they would hook metal, pieces of metal into the leather straps when they beat them. And, and to do the Roman kind of flogging, that's probably not exactly what they did here. Because it wasn't the Romans doing it, it was the Jews doing it to other Jews. Frequently, somebody that was destined for, for crucifixion, you know, the criminals in that... They, they wouldn't even make it to the cross. They died beforehand from the flogging, from the, from the, 40, the 39, 40 whips. But we know that they intended to hurt him. God used Gamaliel to, st- to step in and to calm him down. And, and what Gamaliel told him probably was, we, we only have a snapshot of it here in these two voices. He, he was a, a preacher after all, so he, he probably wasn't done in you know, a minute there. He probably expounded for a while, and and the Lord used that to help the guys calm down. And they took his advice, and and so they they figured they they shouldn't kill him, but they wanted to beat him to send him a message. So to some extent, there was severe physical pain and anguish caused upon them. Not enough to get them to the brink of death. 
And then they ordered it, and this is the part that I almost laugh at. Really? They ordered him again to speak no more of this name of Jesus? We've already gone through the verses earlier in, in Acts where they were told, don't speak, shut up. They filled Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus. They didn't shut up. And you think just because you gave them a few, you, you beat them and caused them some physical pain, that that's going to affect their heart and you're going to get them to shut up about Jesus? <laughs> down, down through the, the ages, there's been a lot of persecution from Nero to Domitian to Marcus Aurelius. Now, I'm not even sure if I'm saying some of these old guys' names right, but Decius, Diodeation. Tertullian was a, was a Christian writer in, in, in an African province under the Romans. And when being questioned, he said, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us up to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. As recently as 1979, another bishop from Africa, and I apologize, I'm going to slaughter his name, Bishop Festo Kivengear, said that without bleeding, the church fails to bless. Persecution will refine the church, but not destroy it. If it leads to prayer and praise, to an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God and of solidarity with Christ in his sufferings, then however painful, it be welcome. Through missionaries, we know that even today, the Church of Christ in Myanmar and the Church of Christ in China is praying that God would bring persecution to the Church of America to purge, to purge the church. As as the hay and stubble are are burned with the gold and the, the fire burns away the dross. As I say, as I tell you to practice, if men came through that door with machine guns and said, if you're not a Christian, get out of here because we're going to kill the Christians. How many of us would get up and leave? I dare say a whole lot more than you think would. The church in Myanmar and China are praying that we would be persecuted. How sad is that that they see us as so weak? Because we are. We are weak. Verse 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. I'm going to write write these verses down. I'm going to flip to them and read quickly 
because there are several verses I want to read for you. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. On account of our own stupidity and arrogance, but on account of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Philippians 1.29 For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. But in that name, let him, be, let him glorify God. Back to Acts 5. They rejoiced. They rejoiced because God considered them worthy to suffer for his name. And don't be mistaken. They understood and realized that if they were beaten for Jesus, that God allowed that to happen. And knowing that he is on the throne and that we can worship his name, they were okay with that. They were grateful for that. They rejoiced in that. That they got to suffer for the name of Jesus. Verse 42, we have the apostolic pattern for evangelism. Every day. That's a pretty simple start to the plan. Doesn't talk about weekends off, holidays off. Doesn't talk about a two-week vacation in the middle of the summer. Every day. Every day you and I are to be witnesses. Every day you and I should be sharing Jesus Christ. Time is short. Ephesians 5. Where'd you go here? 
Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. We mentioned earlier, Luke 6, 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Second Timothy, in, uh, when we went through this, I, I spent a lot of time on this. These, these are just phenomenal verses. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires." and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. It's one of the problems with denominations. Everybody went and found somebody that would tickle their ear and say what they wanted to hear. Folks, this is it right here. This is all we ought to be hearing. This is God's words. This is truth. This is what we are to live by. But we are to be ready in season and out of season. Spring training and bait, I shouldn't even mention it because of their stupid strike and all that. All about money. But the guys that come into the preseason ready to play ball because they kept ready out of season. When it wasn't their season, they stayed tuned up. They kept their body in shape. The ones that come in with the extra 20 pounds to lose, it's going to take them a while. They weren't ready out of season. We are to be ready in season and out of season. Every day in the temple and from house to house. Wherever you're at. In your house, in your neighbor's house, at work, at the grocery store at the hospital, at the prison. Warren Wearsby says, every Christian is a witness, either a good one or a bad one. And our witness either draws people to Christ or it drives them away. Bow your heads if you would. This is a rhetorical question. Nobody needs to answer out loud. Which are you? Does your witness draw people to Christ? Or does it drive them away? Every day in the temple, every day, everywhere... They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah. They taught that Christ came to earth. He was crucified, resurrected, and glorified. But in your life and in my life, and we know that ultimately we we plant the seed We water the seed, and Christ gives the increase. 
It's his Holy Spirit that draws people to himself. It's his Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sins. But what kind of witness are you? A good one or a bad one? Father, thank you for the apostles and their testimony. For their rejoicing for being beaten. And for their continuing to preach and teach Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the Savior. Father, use us. I pray that our witness would be one that would draw people to Christ, not to push them away. Send your Holy Spirit to each heart here today to challenge and to convict and to empower them to continue every day, everywhere to preach and teach Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for this day and help us to look for opportunities. So often we say, well, we don't see them. Well, too often it's because we're not looking. Father, break our hearts. Break our hearts and then build us up in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget the opportunity.